Hello, and welcome to Confefi Break on Unsafe Space. This is your, one of your hosts, Carrie Smith. Uh, Carter is not going to be joining us today because he lives in the state of California, and they are having rolling brownouts, which he was fine with that because he has he has a backup generator, but then his internet went out. So today it's going to be, we're, we're trying something new. This is the first time I've ever dealt with all the tech. So friends in the comments, please be forgiving <laughs> as I try to figure out how to do super chats and everything. But I'm here today with my friend, Chris, who some of you may recognize. We, um, uh, Carter and I got to interview him once and he's the sexy voice Chris or mystery Chris as people call him. He's a little camera shy, so he's not going to be on camera, but he's sitting here with me and we're going to do a, do a live confetti. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so, um, I just wanted to ask you, let's see, is this even working? It is. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you to tell people a little bit about yourself for those who didn't see the interview we did with you before, but just, uh, a little bit about your political evolution, because you were one of the first Trump voters. This is going to sound so stupid, but I used to be in my own echo chamber. And when I started hosting civility dinners in Austin, um, I went out and specifically was trying to meet conservatives and Trump voters and people to come so that we would have a mix of people at the dinners. And Chris is one of my good friends who started coming in. He was one of the first Trump voters that I could say I'm friends with. Like I was like, I'm, I know a Trump voter who I like, who's my friend. And you voted for Obama and then Trump. So why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and your maybe evolution of thought? Yeah, so uh, I was Democrat for a few years. Uh, my family's mostly Democrat. Um, of course, I'm, I'm black. And so that comes at expectation that uh, us black people have to support the Democratic Party, which I did for a while. Uh, I voted for Obama the first time, but shortly after uh, he was elected, I started noticing that he was doing a lot of things that I didn't like, um, things that I hated about the Republican Party. You know, noticeably the uh, wars, continuing a lot of the wars that were in, uh, doing some of the other uh, more cronyish uh, corporate stuff that I hated about the uh, Bush Republicans. And so I had a uh, choice to make. I had to decide if I wanted to continue to support Obama and the Democrats and try to fool myself and pretend that they weren't um, as corrupt as, I, uh, as they actually were, or I could wake up to it and kind of move away from um, supporting them, which I did. It wasn't an easy uh, decision on my part, but uh, once I was able to do that, I started opening up to more conservative or libertarian type of um, econo uh, economist and other commentators. And I kind of got over the whole, you know, conservatives are racist. And once I was able to do that, then I had a more open mind. And so when Trump came around, initially I thought Trump was a joke, like a lot of people. <laughs> and I started to notice little things about him that started to, um, at least in my mind, proved that he wasn't part of this kind of corrupt establishment that I saw both the top Democrats and top Republicans. Uh, I remember, I think it was one of the debates with Republican debates where he was standing next to Jeb Bush and he turned to Jeb Bush and told him that his brother lied about the Iraq war. It was a terrible war, bad war and stuff. And the entire audience booed him. 
And I remember my jaw dropped because I thought that whatever little chance he had of becoming president was gone because, you know, it was the Republican Party. And I thought that in order to become nominee, you're going to have to, you know, pledge more wars and, you know, typical things that Republicans did. And so uh, seeing the amount of hate he got from those establishment Republicans and establishment uh, Democrats, in my mind, um, kind of proved that he was outside the establishment. Now, of course, there are things he's done that I don't like, of course, but um, again, there are certain things that he uh, has done that still goes counter to what the establishment uh, has been pushing. And so, um, like I said, I voted for him in 2016. I'm going to vote for him again. Um, and this isn't something I've told a lot of friends about. <laughs> yeah, you you surprised me because we, we did a, a karaoke party. And I met some of your other friends who were very vocal about how much they hate Trump voters. And I realized, oh, they don't know that Chris is a Trump voter. I'm, I'm, and I didn't I didn't out you. <laughs> but it was it was I was surprised. And that how has that been like with are there any fr I know there's one friend that you came out to as yes. a Trump voter. Yeah. So um one friend I told um, shortly after Trump was elected, I told him we were out drinking and I was talking about politics. And of course, a lot of these people who hate Trump bring up like typical stuff. You know, he's a racist. Uh, he, he works with Vlad, Vladimir Putin. And I feel the need to kind of defend him on those points. There are certain things that, yeah, there are some true um, accusations. But for the, regarding those things, those things are just kind of ridiculous in my view. So I defended him, and my one friend I was out uh, with having a beer um, decided to leave the bar and walk home. <laughs> I, offered, wow. I offered him a ride back because he didn't have a car. And he's like, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so uh, that didn't go well. Uh, I had another friend, one of my best friends. Uh, in fact, we were best friends for a while. I've known this guy since we were kids. Uh, I was the best man at his wedding. Um, he's always been kind of lefty. And I'd been avoiding telling him that I voted for Trump, but it became kind of obvious because he would always ask me, you know, you know, my views on politics and stuff. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I try to have a nuanced view, but I say, you know, these are the things I like about Trump, these are the things I don't. But he's one of those people who, he has a history of, you know, struggling with depression and anxiety and the election of Donald Trump for him, just like a lot of people, I think kind of broke camel's back in a way because he started we were hanging out one night and he had been drinking a little bit but he he started going off uh he got very angry with me very confrontational with me um and this guy's a white guy just yes white guy okay uh we I, and i was trying to make more uh nuanced arguments in support for trump and against hillary you know because as bad as you know, trump is on some things he's far better than hillary but he was not accepting any things. And there was a point in the conversation where he told me that if I did not support the Democratic Party, then I was voting against my own interest. And I was really taken aback by this because this guy, this white guy, my best friends, never heard anything racist coming from him. But the fact that he would tell, you know, his best friend for, for decades that, you know, I was essentially, you know, going against what, you know, is good for black people uh, really, it was it was pretty hurtful and it was very angry. I, I got a little angry. Just uh, unbelievable. It's that he say it's that a weird me. kind of condescension with yes. and he probably didn't even realize he was being condescending right. to say like 
you're betraying black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we have a super chat, and I don't want to get too far behind on these because I'm not sure how to keep up with them like Carter does. So for those of you just joining us, if you're joining late, where this is Kefefi Live on Unsafe Space, Carter is not going to be able to join us today because he lives in California and they had a brownout and he lost his internet on top of that. So uh, this is my friend Chris. He's been on the show before. He is anonymous because he doesn't want his face on camera, um, but maybe we'll work on that over time <laughs> if he comes back. Anyway, here's a super chat from Zachary. He says, this is a great episode to ask this question, courtesy of Chris. Do you both, do you think systemic racism exists? If so, where, I can't read the bottom, where specifically? I don't think it's largely, I think, yeah, there are some effects from past, you know, uh, racism, but largely I think there are more issues with uh, culture and class. And I don't mean that in the Marxist sense. Uh, I mean that more in the sense that a lot of people in the various classes have used the power of the government to kind of benefit themselves at the expense of people in other classes. And so I think that's what kind of creates a lot of the barriers and people misidentify that as being uh, systemic or structural racism, which in my view, I, I don't fully buy into. So, yeah. So you're saying they mistake systemic, maybe class issues. Would you say there are systemic class issues? Uh, yeah. And again, not in the Marxist sense, not like I'm blaming it on capitalism, but, uh, when you have a lot of interest in class, like the, the, upper class that is using power of the government to award itself bailouts and massive subsidies and you know regulations that benefit themselves. When you have people in the middle class that are uh, lobbying local and national governments to pass all sorts of regulations and license uh, requirements for occupations that don't need licensing, uh, that kind of creates a, a barrier to entry so they can kind of keep their wages at an artificially high uh, level. Uh, of course, you have people in lower classes voting more, you know, resources themselves. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know if this, <laughs> I must, I assume Tolkien meant this to be a, a direct analogy, but, you know, the government is the ring of Mordor, in my view. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants that power to benefit themselves. And I, I, it's kind of what America's breaking down into, just you know, tribal factions of everybody who wants the powers of the government. People, not a lot of people who want to reduce the power of the government. They they want it for themselves so they can benefit themselves. But they cloak it under this veil of altruism, which is just sick of my view. You're not the first person I've heard make the Lord of the Rings analogy. James Lindsay makes that too. No, did he? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so we are going to do, there's, there's one news thing I definitely want to talk about. Now we're going to see if Carrie can do share screen. Um, did you see the article in CNN? Well, I know I mentioned it to you, but did you see the article about how from legacy media that's basically saying, hey guys, don't worry. Here it is. Can you guys see that? It says conservatives, this is from CNN, conservatives push to discredit Facebook, Twitter, and Google just days before the election. Uh, so this to me, I mean, it, it's basically legacy media is telling us that the collusion that we can see with our own eyes between legacy media and big social to mass manipulate the American people using propaganda and censorship, that that's just a conservative push to discredit social media, that it's just some kind of conservative narrative that's not true and that it's a conspiracy theory. 
I, I will say I am shocked that they use the term conservative because normally they put right wing. Well, they oh, did. They did changed they? this headline. Oh. Earlier, it said right wing oh. uh, push. It didn't use the word propaganda, but it said right wing offensive. Right wing offensive <laughs> to discredit. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to read through. I have actually. Did you read this yet? No, I haven't. Okay. A right wing offensive. There it is. <laughs> A right-wing offensive is underway to discredit social media companies just days before the election. What began as complaints about anti-conservative censorship by social media companies has now evolved into outright allegations of election interference. As high-ranking Republicans have accused online platforms of helping Democrats by way of their content moderation decisions. Okay, CNN, what is not true in the sentence? Tell me. <laughs> uh, is it not true that that these social media platforms are helping Democrats by way of their content moderation decisions? I mean, did we all saw what happened with the New York Post. As far as I know, they're still banned from Twitter for publishing a story that the social media companies don't like because it's not flattering to Biden. So what's what's untrue about this? Uh, on Wednesday, the Senate Commerce, uh, Commerce Committee is set to grill the CEOs of Facebook, Google, and Twitter amid right-wing cries of partisanship and threats to change a critical law known as Section 230 that protects the company's ability to moderate content as they see it. So for anyone who's watching who's not familiar with this, these platforms are protected in a way that publishes or not by Section 230. Platforms are protected from liability for the things that people say on the platform. But here's the issue. They're acting as publishers. When you start editing content and censoring stories and viewpoints and people that you don't like, then you're now acting as a publisher. You're deciding what narrative it goes out and what things get published on your platform and what things don't. And so there's an argument. I think it's a pretty legitimate argument that these platforms are in violation of section 230 because they're they're acting as publishers. So that's what this is about. But look at this next paragraph, Gus. Outside experts, what experts? What experts? I look, outside experts have found little evidence to support claims of widespread sy system uh, systematic political bias in Silicon Valley's technology. <laughs> Uh, if Carter were here today, I think he would have something to say about that, being that he worked in Silicon Valley for so long. Okay, but the conservative allegations are an explosive charge and a dramatic escalation ahead of Election Day. They reflect not only the stakes of the race, but also the fact that Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube have become key parts of America's democracy, for better or for worse. And now, fair game for a party with a habit of working the refs. <laughs> Does anybody have any... You know what? You know what? It's funny, because this is, this is legacy media running defense for big social. But look at what legacy media is doing in this article. They are doing the very thing they're saying is not happening. This whole article is telling us what to think. Look at the words they choose. This, this reminds me, uh, I watched a, a documentary on HBO, it came out this year, forgetting the, the exact title, but it's on quote unquote fake news. And you can already guess what the topics are on this fake news. Uh, obviously the Sandy Hook, Alex Jones uh, stuff, um, the Pizzagate type stuff. 
But in this uh, documentary, they start off with the New York Times. And the New York Times reporters talking about Alex Jones, and then they move uh, to someone with BuzzFeed. But this whole idea of fake news was all talking about the independent uh, content providers or news organizations online. There was nothing about the mainstream corporate media peddling fake news. Like, I just thought it was so fascinating that the New York Times opened up the documentary when the New York Times was one of the um, journalistic outlets that pushed for the Iraq war in 2003 and actually apologized the following year, admitting that they didn't follow basic journalistic uh, standards and ethics in pushing for this war. But there's no reflection on that. And then BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed was the uh, organization that pushed the, the PP dossier that Trump liked <laughs> to get peed on by Russian prostitutes. No mention of that. It was just, it's, it, my jaw was just, I didn't, I couldn't finish the whole documentary because they keep leaving these things out, but acting like they're somehow have some kind of authority still, and they're the ones that will determine what truth is. It's just, it's sad just knowing that this is still effective. And I'm just curious if you're seeing, uh, since you know a lot more, you know, leftists uh, than I do, uh, I'm just curious how many of them are still buying into this stuff? Like, have you seen them share this article that CNN Oh, I haven't seen them share this article. I just saw this. Actually, James Lindsay posted this is where I saw it. But I, my guess is that, yes, a lot of them still buy into it. I shared this morning, and I want to talk to you about this. I saw a video. If you guys haven't seen it, I'm not going to attempt to try the tech of playing a video. But there, there are some videos. One of them I retweeted um, on my Twitter, which is KSE Mama Jamma and we will retweet it from the Unsafe Space Twitter. Um, but it's a video of Beverly Hills this weekend on Sunday, and it's at least hundreds of Trump supporters marching through Beverly Hills. And it's a very racially diverse, gender diverse group of people. There's people with different flags saying, you know, Filipinos for Trump or different um, ethnic minorities. There's it's not what they try to tell us Trump supporters are. And the shocking thing to me was that it's in Beverly Hills. I used to live right next to there, and I've, I've never seen anything like that for any Republican ever. So it, it was a surprising video. So when I shared it, though, there are leftist friends of mine who are still in L.A. who It was interesting to see how they reacted. One of them, she shared it to her wall uh, as kind of an alarmed warning. She's like, oh my gosh, there's more Trump supporters than we thought. It does matter. You need to get out and vote against Trump in California. Yeah, she was very alarmed. Another person, white, she she just commented, this is a Klan rally. <laughs> Which, are, do you not see all the people of color there? Does it, uh, and, and really, like, I don't think people, when they say stuff like that, I know her, I'm friends with her. I don't think she really believes that deep down. Like, I don't think she believes that. But when I started trying to talk with her about it, to your point about do they believe the lies or they, yes, they believe the lies. They're still in that echo chamber I was in. And I, that baffles me. I think about it a lot, actually, because I wonder if I had never woken up when I did, um, things have gotten so bad to this point where, where legacy media and big social are working inclusion to try and manipulate the outcome of an election, they're doing everything they can to manipulate us. 
using censorship and propaganda, would I, would I still be asleep now? And I don't think I would. I think this would, would wake me up. So I don't understand the people who are still kind of in that, in that asleep. It's like a sleeping state. Right, right. I don't understand it either. And I'm, because I, I think uh, Carter mentioned on uh, a previous show about uh, the issue of, of what's going on with the social justice stuff is more of an issue with, with you know, psychological um, issues. And I've been thinking about that and trying to understand that. And, and it's almost like this cos- cognitive dissonance that uh, a lot of people are displaying. It's like causing them to go even more crazy because they're, they're trying to keep this worldview that's not accurate, that's not reflective of reality, um, trying to maintain it despite there being overwhelming amount of evidence going contrary to that. And like trying to do that, it's like driving them insane. Yeah. Like, they, they just can't do it. And I'm seeing it with a lot of friends, uh, even with, you know, I love my parents, but even slightly with them because they, they watch so much of the corporate media and mm-hmm. they just start saying stuff, things that aren't true about Trump or things that are, even if it's true, it's also true about Barack Obama and people that they support. And I bring these things up and they just, it, they, they won't acknowledge what I said. And it's just, it freaks me out. It, it's like some weird spell has been cast off. It is. Like, <laughs> it is like a America. weird spell. It's bizarre. I want to come back to that because I have I have a thought about that that I want to talk about with you. But before I lose it, I have a super chat. And again, I apologize if we missed your super chat today. Carter's not here. He doesn't have internet, so I'm doing the tech. Uh, but Ben gave us 10 bucks. Thank you, Ben. He says, my brother loves his identity politics and has never tasted freedom. How do I still love and respect him? You, do you have an answer for that? <laughs> I think I might have an answer, but what do you, <laughs> you, you try. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let's mention that friend that I talked about, the white woman in LA who commented on my page today and said that the Trump rally in Beverly Hills was a Klan rally. I said to her, I love you. Like in the agape sense of the word. I do. I love her and I respect her. I know her. I know she has good intent. And maybe this is true for your brother, Ben. Maybe it's not, but... I know that she is in social justice, identity politics stuff because she is against, she opposes racism and sexism. And we have that in common. I, I still oppose, I oppose racism and sexism. I was trying to explain to her, I oppose it. What happened, what changed for me was that I, I finally realized that my old ideology, her current ideology was turning me into a puppet for racism and sexism. And the worst part is that while it was using me, using me to spread racism and sexism, I thought I was fighting it. That's what makes, that's why I call this the social justice ideology evil because it, it takes people with good intent and it turns them into foot soldiers for the very thing that they hate, that they think they're fighting. So in answer to your question, it, you love your brother. If your brother has good intent and he's in identity politics because he's been led astray, that's different than a person who's in it with bad intent. And there are people in it with bad intent who know what it is and use it to gain power and to try and oppress others. And I think there's a real difference between those the two types of people who are in social justice ideology. So intent really does matter to me. I know it doesn't matter as much to Carter and it doesn't matter. Social justice warriors say it doesn't matter, but it does, it does matter to me. There are good hearted people who can get pulled into evil belief systems and and who can get pulled into cults 
And look at look at the KKK. Look at Daryl Davis. He's the black guy who's pulled two hundred white guys out of the Klan by befriending them. I would argue that those men who left are men who are good-hearted, who were led astray. How else could he reach them and pull them out, right? And it's the same thing with social justice. It's good-hearted people who've been led astray, who are in a racist ideology, and and have have been indoctrinated to believe that th that's the way, that this ideology is the way to fight, you know, the evils of the world. So, I guess, have compassion for him, or try to. That would be my answer. Yeah, try to acknowledge that. You understand there are issues that we're all facing, um, but a lot of these issues are being exploited by people who don't have the best interest of uh, everyone at heart. And, you know, one thing I try to point out to uh, those of my friends and family that I do choose to have political discussions with is how a lot of the interests that they don't like are funding uh, some of these causes. Mm. So if you can identify, at least for me, I try to identify the corporations that are backing a lot of the social justice stuff because typically the people who buy into the social justice stuff are not fans of a uh, great many uh, corporations. Um, yeah. It's very similar to like uh, discussions on climate change, you know, regardless of how much, you know, humans are contributing to, you know, climate change or whatever. You can look at you know, a lot of the corrupt banking interests like Goldman Sachs and others that are devising a system that will allow them to make trillions of dollars off of, you know, carbon credits. And if that doesn't wake people up to people who hate Goldman Sachs, yeah. then, then I, That's I, a good point, is to the corporate angle. Because mm. I've noticed that wokeness, because corporations have now adopted wokeness, that I've, I see leftists who previously been so anti-corporate anti power, anti-corporate corruption, anti-corporations are now suddenly embracing them and point that out to them. I think some of them do it. Like, again, they're, they're in a cult. They're indoctrinated. They're sleepwalking. Sometimes they're not even aware of what they're doing. They're like, oh, my God, this, this advertisement from this shaving company just made me cry. And if you say, like, dude, why are you shilling for a company now on your page are you that easy they showed you something that appealed to your emotions and now you're out there pimping this razor company or whatever it is sometimes you have to point out what they're doing because they don't even realize what they're doing right I think. And, and, and tell them that a lot of these leftists think that once they seize the reins of power so that they're going to turn it on the corporations but the corporations aren't going to fund things that they think is actually going to be a threat to their power and you have to make people <laughs> realize yeah. this. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not going to turn the tables on them. They, they know what they're doing. They're supporting you for a reason. You both support the increase of government power because they want that power. You think you're going to have that power, but you're not. Yeah. Uh, let's do... There's another super chat before I miss it. Channel Julio. Thank you, Julio. He says, Biden announced today that he would pack the Supreme Court with 73 justices one for each gender. <laughs> Sorry, I was with it. I was like, I was reading this like, really? It's so hard because these days you see stuff, you're like, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know anymore. It's like, it's to the point where I start questioning my own sanity. Yeah. Like, am I, am I crazy? Maybe all these social justice people are normal. And yeah. Crazy well, that's what they're doing. That's the actual definition of gaslighting is what the media is doing, what big social and the media are doing, like this CNN piece that we read. 
the the media is gaslighting us and the point of gaslighting is to make you think slowly over time that you're crazy and that what you see with your own eyes isn't real and that and, and you it kind of turns everything upside down where you're not sure what to believe anymore and you start doubting your own sanity yeah. um and that's definitely that's definitely the place that we're in now um so I wanted to come back to this unless we have any other super chats which I don't see so somebody says you're quiet, so either speak a little more loudly or move closer to me in the microphone. Okay. <laughs> I'm closer. <laughs> Good. Or you can scoot up if you need to. So one of the things I want to come back to is you were talking about you don't understand the people who are not awake to what's going on and that they it's almost like, this is my word, but I think they behave a little like cult members. Are you familiar with, have you seen the Scientology documentary Going Clear? I'm not sure I saw that one. I saw the one on HBO a few years ago. Oh, I don't. That, there another one? <laughs> that, no, it might. I think it. Okay. I think it's that one. Yeah, because I watched it. On, I think I watched it on HBO. I just watched it, and I also just finished. There's a series about the Nexium cult. Are you familiar with that one? It's called uh, a the little Bow. Bit, yes. So the interesting thing I got from both of them is, it. There are definitely some similarities, between the social justice cult. And these other kind of cults, the Scientology, the Nexium, but there's also some big differences, and I think that the differences are are interesting because well, we can talk about what's similar first. What's similar is that in both of these cults, Scientology and Nexium, they they did something where they would encourage you to um, cut yourself off from any friends or family members who did not share the belief system. And they called it, uh, I think in both of them, they called it, you're being a suppressive person. If you leave the cult, you're, you've now become a suppressive person. Or if you don't join it, you're a suppressive person. And so that's very similar to a social justice ideology. There's a lot of pressure for people who are in social, the social justice cult to unfriend and to quit associating with anyone who's not a part of it. Um, and you see that just in unfriendings that happen, like when you come out against it, if you leave it, it that part's very similar. Um, another part, another cult characteristic that was in both of those cults, and I, I would argue is also in social justice, is they don't allow questions. Questions are discouraged. You're not allowed to disagree. And that's definitely true for social justice. In fact, all if you join any social justice group online, you'll see... I'm in one that's called Courageous Conversations. <laughs> you can imagine there's not really any, there's no, no. conversations happening. It's just a one-sided preaching. And if you disagree, you know, you're made to feel unwelcome and you're piled on. Like you're not allowed to have questions. So that's similarity. But here's a difference. I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. One difference is there's no charismatic leader. And so when we think about culturally when we think about cults we all think of you know jim jones the kool-aid drinking we think of scientology we think of a charismatic person who leads it and we have a certain cultural idea of what a cult is and so i think a lot of people who are in the social justice cult they don't recognize it it's harder for them to recognize it as a cult. first of all it's hard to recognize you're in a cult anyway if you watch the nexium documentary the people who left the cult who are being interviewed they didn't they, they explained they're like Nobody, one of the guys says, Mark Vicente says in, in the doc, he says, nobody joins a cult. We join something that we think is good. 
that's a good organization that's doing good. And we didn't realize we were in a cult, you know? And then when we did, it was really hard to leave. And that's the same thing with social justice ideology. They don't realize they're in a cult. They think they're part of a good ideology. But I would say one of the reasons it might be even harder for them to wake up, for me to wake up, than it is for people in something like Nexium or Scientology is because they don't have a charismatic leader. Hmm. What do you think about that? Um, hmm. I, I think it's harder because, like you said, when they cut off family, that becomes their new family. And I think a lot of them are afraid that uh, if they were to start to deviate from some of the beliefs that they're going to be ostracized from that you know community that's been created and I think um, a lot of them are I think that fear is what keeps uh, a lot of them in line so I don't know so much about the the leader but uh, what do you think? Well I think it just makes it harder for them to see what it is when they start trying to check off the characteristics and and really question themselves I think it does like like I was um, I was the other night I was reading through some Twitter feeds of uh, people I used to be a fan of like Patton Oswalt I mentioned this to Carter the other day but he's a comedian that I still think is very funny Um, I've always I've always found him very funny I was a fan of his I think he's bright I think he's intelligent but his Twitter feed is so depressing because it's it's exactly you could you could write his Twitter feed right now Chris like you could sit down and you know what's on there He's definitely kind of NPC SJW and he's just retweeting and posting all the same stuff that corporate media and that this cult wants him to. And I was thinking about him and I was thinking about other well-intentioned, smart, in some cases, funny people who are in this belief system and how hard it must be not to, how hard it must be to see, um, to see some of the signs of cult-like behavior because everyone around you's in it, especially if you're in a place like LA, everyone, everyone in your social circles, like the elite social circles that you're in, in the entertainment world or whatever, in his case, you know, they're all of this belief system and it goes so deep and to be able to see, oh, like something's not quite right here. I think it's even harder for them than it is in something like Scientology. Yeah, I, I think with the leader point, uh, kind of reminds me of you know Black Lives Matter. I know that some of the um, co-founders uh, have spoken up, but people don't really know who the leader is because there's not really a direct leader of that. And I think a lot of it is geared more for outsiders. So it kind of prevents a lot of people from finding someone to direct their you know anger or hatred to towards because uh, again it's collective and so it's like the board to use star trek reference <laughs> they, they, they want that collective uh way of thinking and it makes it harder for people to try to target and take out people you know metaphorically i don't think someone would do that physically but you know in terms of assassinating their character uh, the amount of damage that could do to uh, any organization I, I think they're wise and so i think social justice is similar um organized um in the various you know branches of social justice in a similar fashion yeah uh for those of you who don't know i'm gonna take this one i'm sighing because i'm like it makes me sad just thinking about 
I, I so many people that are still in it, but, but uh, I'm going to switch gears since you mentioned Star Trek. I'm going to tell people, Chris and I have a show coming out. We're trying a pilot episode of a show. It's going to be coming out sometime this week and it's going to be all about pop culture, which Chris is, you're, I would say you're one of my, you're very well versed in pop culture. And um, so look for that. This is actually a blessing in disguise that Carter couldn't be here today because we get to introduce you guys to Chris. And uh, you are going to have an avatar that'll look like you're talking kind of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you won't be off camera on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got a super chat from Inside of the Ages. Thank you, Insight. He says, gaslighting. When the person holding the gaslight illuminates a lie and conceals the truth in the shadows they design. Wow. Isn't that a great definition? That's exactly what I feel is happening lately is they are pushing falsehoods as truth and they are, they are pushing the truth. They are saying the truth is a lie. It's the exact opposite. Thank you. Totally 1984. Um, I think that's, I think that's it with the super chats. Thank you guys. If you have any other questions for Chris, let me know. Um, so speaking of woke companies, did you see the Oreo tweet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Any thoughts about Oreo before I read this to you? Uh, as you know, I'm not a fan of chocolate, so I'm already <laughs> primed to hate the company. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Chris is weird. He doesn't like chocolate or no, coffee. No. Gross. <laughs> mud water. No, mud water. Um, okay, so this one just came out. It's in a long list, you guys. The woke companies just keep on coming. There's a ton of them. So Oreo just tweeted um, something about how women... Oh, here it is. Oh, actually, let's do the Tampax one first. Did you see? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did you see the Tampax no, I didn't. one? Okay, Tampax. I'm just going to read this to you. Tampax says, fact, not all women have periods. Also a fact, not all people with periods are women. Let's celebrate the diversity of all people who bleed. <laughs> hashtag myth busting. Hashtag period truths. Hashtag trans is beautiful. This is Tampax. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> How, why are they expecting their sales to go up? Because I assume, last week we've spoken before, a lot of social justice, probably the majority, are women. So from a strategic standpoint, I don't understand how they're expecting this to gain more uh, consumers, given that a lot of consumers are probably already, you know, into the social justice stuff. And I know a lot of the corporations are doing the virtual sig signaling stuff, but I, just, I, don't, I don't understand strategically. Like, that's what I don't understand. Like, I, I get that a lot of the people working in the marketing departments are younger people, people who've probably gone to universities in recent years who've been exposed to social justice, but there's still a lot of people who are above them who are, say, probably boomers who aren't probably as far left as, you know, younger generations. So I don't understand why they keep greenlighting all these things. Like, from a business standpoint, like, they obviously got to the position that they are by being decent, you know, business. But why do you keep giving in to these things? Like, what metrics are they relying on to say, hey, this is a good idea to take our brand in this direction? Like, what are they basing on? What evidence? What data? I don't... This is a great question. Carter and I have talked about it before. I, I wonder if it's 
part of the reason they're doing it is because they have millennials running their social media feeds and running their social media departments, presumably, and making this belief system. When you bring it into a company, just like when you bring it into your church or your hobby group or any type of workplace, when you bring it into your company, it becomes the number one priority. It becomes more important than profits. Like spreading this ideology is, that's your number one goal. When it takes over, when it converges, to borrow that term uh, from Vox Day, when it converges in an organization or a group of any kind, it becomes the number one goal. So I think to a certain degree, these decisions are not being made with profits in mind at all. I think the, the people running, the, at least the people running the social media, um, public facing accounts and stuff, those people don't care about profits. They're making good money. They're not looking to the future of how this is gonna affect the profits of their company. They want to spread what they believe is the good word. Well, I also think that there's a built-in excuse for failure because we kind of talk about this on the, on the Pop Culture Podcast, but oftentimes when they put in the social justice stuff and when there's kind of a negative reaction to this, typically they say, oh, it's racist people. It's people who don't like black people. And I think maybe to the higher ups, maybe that's convincing to say, because they're not, I'm sure a lot of them aren't super racist. <laughs> some of them might be so racist. But I'm sure a lot of them are going, well, yeah, of course we don't, you know, want to be on side of racist. And so maybe that affects their business decisions because if they, they buy that excuse of their failing brand or hurting the brands like what's you know occurring in pop culture with like Star Wars and other things, they can blame it on sexist and alt-right types. And so yeah. this might be very convincing to the higher-ups because they don't want to be on the side of races. They were like, yeah, I'm against racism too. So yeah. even though they haven't been indoctrinated in social justice, maybe that's a way they're getting manipulated. And plus it's also offering job security for a lot of the social justice people who, again... Uh, are protecting themselves from, you know, being subject to a true free market by blaming it on, you know, racist people and yeah. not their own poor work. Yeah, and not their own poor work. Okay, so let's do the Oreos one. <laughs> <laughs> so you can make a joke there. There's <laughs> a joke in there. <laughs> okay, Oreo Cookie, they tweeted, A loving world starts with respecting others. Now, that sounds pretty good. Then they include a graphic with some Oreos on it that have the rainbow flag uh, cream filling. It's a rainbow cream filling. And it says, question, why do pronouns matter? Answer, respect. Using someone's pronouns, like he or she, correctly shows respect. And then they even have a follow-up tweet, Oreo does, with another graphic that says, pronoun example one, meet my friend. They are a big fan of Oreo cookies, and their favorite variety is double stuff. <laughs> if you ask them nicely, I bet they'll share some with you. Want to learn more? Head to our Instagram stories for our... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Click out, exit. <laughs> Head to our Instagram stories for our Insta guide. To pronouns. Okay, again, first of all, why are my, why is my tampon why are why are tampon companies and cookie companies trying to sell us a woke garbage religion? <laughs> Listen, cookie company, I don't come to you for any kind of morality lessons. Like, hello, tampon company. 
I don't need your religion. I don't care if your religion is Christianity. I don't care if your religion is garbage wokeness. I don't want to hear from you about it, Oreos. <laughs> I want Oreos to uh, say, just like our cookies, we're going to hire two blacks for every white. <laughs> I want them to do it so bad, please. Will you, will you, you have to, are you on Twitter? No, no, no. Uh, Okay, I'm going to tweet that for you. <laughs> uh, you almost made me snort. Dear Oreo cookies, my friend, my friend Chris has a good suggestion for your marketing department. He's black, so I know you'll listen to him. He wants you to... <laughs> um, okay, let's do a super chat. You guys, thanks for bearing with us today without Carter and with me running the tech. <laughs> so, uh, Lieutenant Cyber, thank you, Lieutenant. He says, he gives us five bucks. He says, watch the Scott Adams interview from last night with a member of Nexium. Oh, cool. I didn't know he did one. He says, it might change your mind about them being a cult. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if anything, I'm pretty convinced they're a cult. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'll watch it. Thank you. Let's see what else. <laughs> uh, are you sure Chris is human? Oh, because you don't like chocolate <laughs> coffee. Disgusting. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> People will like your Oreo commentary. <laughs> uh, Chris gives us two bucks. Thank you, Chris. And says, Chris is a riot. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. Yeah. Like Great, name. Yeah. Great name. Great <laughs> name. Um, okay, so is there anything else you want to chat about, sir? I just, uh, did you see Chelsea Handler's comment? Mm -mm. Oh, you didn't see this? So you're aware of 50 Cent uh, recently said that he was going, he looked at Joe Biden's tax plan. Oh, yes. And decided that he was going to vote for Trump. So Chelsea Handler did a interview with Jimmy Fallon. And in this interview, she said that she... By the way, they used to date her and uh, 50 Cent used to date. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. But she said she was going to talk to 50 Cent and remind him that he's black. She said this. And I was just amazed that I, I know that a lot of these leftists say stuff like that behind closed doors. But the fact that they're getting so brazen and open about their own racism, it's just amazing. Like when you were talking about the cult stuff, like if she's this comfortable saying this on camera going nationwide then what kind of conversations is she having in closed doors? Like, how many people around her hear her and others saying things like this and just nod and go, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't realize he's black. Yeah, this is yeah. just insulting. I just, I just, I don't understand how people don't see this and understand how condescending it is. Like, if there's another black person who's into social justice stuff, like, how did they not see things like this and say, whoa, hey, that's not cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Can, well, you know, that's an interesting point because a lot of times when we criticize social justice ideology and we point out how it is racist because it teaches you, just like white supremacy, it teaches us that we should look at people's race and judge them and treat them differently based on what race they are. So if they're white, don't, you don't have to listen to their opinion. They don't get to speak. They don't, you know, there's different rules. If they're black, 
you don't get to ask them where they're from. You don't get to make a connection with them, possibly because you have you have to treat them differently and act like a robot around them and not step on any of the things that you've been told are microaggression. So it's all about getting you to judge people and treat them differently based on their race and sex, etc. But so when we talk about this, a lot of times people end up focusing on the ways in which it's racist towards white people. But I think what gets overlooked is how extremely racist it is towards black people or anyone who's not white. It's very condescending. They treat us like we're pets of theirs. We're just a means to an end. So that's power. Just like I was saying earlier, a lot of them are cloaking their own selfishness under a veil of altruism. It's like they don't care because I see my Facebook, I see all these people posting, you know, Black Lives Matter. And one of the, uh, a friend of mine I knew from high school, she's of yeah, East Indian descent. But she's posted something like thanking black people for fighting and making it safe for her family and stuff. And I'm thinking, you people don't actually care about black people as much as you think you do. Mm-hmm. If you did, you would actually do the research to understand all the issues facing black people. Understand that we're not a monolith. That there are cultural differences between a lot of those blacks. And then make decisions on terms of what policies you're going to support to improve things, but they're mm-hmm. not doing that. It's like when I was having that argument with my, uh, uh, one of my good friends, when we got an argument over Trump and Hillary, I was telling about, you know, welfare. I was saying, hey, if there are, you know, people who are poor through no fault of their own and find people helping uh, those people, but there are a lot of people who are poor due to their own decisions. And if you're not acknowledging how certain policies, well-meaning policies were put forward that have contributed and exacerbated a lot of these issues, then question is, do you really care about solving poverty and helping people, you know, uh, get out of, of that, that place in life? Because it's more like you are want to believe that you're such a great person. Yes. And yes. you're really, like I said, cloaking their own self-interest, you know, behind this veil of altruism that they care so much. But when people are pointing out the issues with certain policies that you support, you ignore that when they accuse them of being racist and thus can still maintain your own mind that you have the moral high ground. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. You're so right. It's, it's very much about, I think, convincing themselves and convincing other people that they are good mm-hmm. and that they are anti-racist. It's not really, they're not thinking deeply about what they're doing. It's, it's to use that overused phrase, but it's signaling virtue. Mm-hmm. They're basically making public statements and saying things without thinking, like saying, I need, as a white person saying, <laughs> I need to remind him he's black. Like that's, what is that? That's a, that's a public statement of showing that you have the right ideology and you are somehow anti-racist while you're saying something racist. It's so bizarre too, because they constantly pose as these white saviors because they think like us, like they look down on a lot of us blacks, like we need help, like we're, you know, mentally handicapped children and we need assistance. But then they feel guilt for their superiority. And so they have to flog themselves publicly by confessing their white privilege. <laughs> yes, It's so I've bizarre. Seen. Like, I, I didn't bring this up in our podcast, but, you know, in the new Star Trek show, they brought back Captain Picard. And they, they he's essentially a white savior. He's helping these marginalized people. But then he gets... St- talked down to by women because he has to check his privilege. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's so, there's an actual article on StarTrek.com where they talk about that episode and this writer, this complete SJW person they hired, was, <laughs> they were talking about the quote-unquote marginalized people in the show and they said that his dog he owned was even a marginalized individual. <laughs> oh. 
And I, I, like, it's so hard to tell if these people believe this. And I think they, I don't know. I just, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know if they're trying to convince us because they know it's BS. Because, like, an, an, another thing, like, I didn't also, I didn't bring this up on the podcast, but uh, I, you know, a month or a couple months ago, I was thinking about critical race theory and how ridiculous it was that it takes, you know, months to teach people how to read racism into old stories because I went to art and design school and it wasn't you know political but I learned the art of rationali rationalizing uh, various art choices and reading things into them that don't actually exist so you seem profound and so mm -hmm. I started thinking like oh, what if I started thinking about movies I was like what can I read a racist narrative into I was like hmm what about what about the movie Alien because Aliens, you know, the Sigourney Weaver alien yeah. movies. The alien was based on H.R. Geiger's uh, work. It's, it's very sexual, so it's very obviously the alien's, you know, phallic. <laughs> he has a phallic head. And he's also black, so I was like, what if this movie symbolizes the fear that white people have of black sexuality? And yes. I, no, because a few weeks later, some professor somewhere came out with an article saying that thing. Saying <laughs> that Alien and Predator was racist, and you can guess the reasons why Predator's racist. I could have told you that because it has dreadlocks. <laughs> because and I was just, it's like, you can how, do I it. I want this job. How do I? You should can I do sell it with out? anything. So you could that. totally sell out, Chris. You could totally sell out. You could churn out this stuff. Look, what you're saying, you can do it with anything. And I did it. I did it for 20 years. I did it in college. I have tons of papers. We should actually pull out some of these papers sometimes and read them. I took critical race theory classes. I took women's studies, which back when it was called women's studies, now it's called gender studies. I took queer theory. Um, and all of these classes, I would do papers. Because what they do, social justice ideology says, you basically put on these glasses that tell you that the whole world is racist and sexist and homophobic and the entire way to look at the world is as some some power competition between these identity groups and your job your job is to find the secret racism and sexism and homophobia in everything and so my papers are like you know deconstructing the white patriarchal gaze in the movie gilda <laughs> you know and and it's all like that it's all it's like the heteronormative uh, gaze in the movie. Uh, it, every single... You could take anything. Yes. You could take anything. It's so easy. It's so easy. <laughs> it's a game they play. And, and there's people who are in it who really believe it, but then there's also a lot of people with bad intent. Right. Who they know. They're yes. just making money writing this crap and hosting workshops to, you know, get rid of your toxic whiteness and whatever. Okay, wait. Before... Hold that thought. Before we get too far behind... Uh, Mandy gave us a super chat. Thanks, Mandy. She said, Chris has just promoted Twix. I don't know. I missed that. He said, gross, Mandy. <laughs> Mr. Biggles. Thank you, Mr. Biggles. He gives us 70 czar. I forget what czar is. But he says, honestly, these marketing departments don't really have their finger on the pulse. If you want to sell tampons to men, just put magnum size on the side of the box. <laughs> uh, I think I missed one. Oh, wait. Here's another from Mandy. Mandy is Russian. She's ah. always giving us Russian lessons. So she just gave us five bucks and said, just a reminder for Carrie, you are Russian bot. Beep, boop, blad. <laughs> Thank you, Mandy. Uh, I think we're caught up. 
Okay, what were you about to say that I so, interrupted? So speaking of critical race thing, I had dated a girl a few years ago, way before I understood what social justice is, and she had said stuff that at the time I didn't quite understand. It wasn't until I started learning about social justice that it all clicked. It was like, you know, one of those moments in a movie where like a uh, person uh, suddenly realizes that their partner, their friend or whatever is actually the killer. And they have like a little <laughs> montage of all the little things, the signs that they didn't notice, but all of a sudden it hits them. Cause like she, she, was, yeah, I've watched a lot of Lifetime movies, so I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. Well, we had met on a, a online thing and in her, her uh, bio, it had mentioned that she had majored in, I think it was heteronormative, um, literature, heteronormative narratives in 18th century British literature or something like that. I had no idea what that meant. I was like, oh, okay. And that was number one. Uh, number two, she had made an argument that uh, Hitler wasn't evil. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah. Well, it's postmodern. You know, she didn't believe in evil. Okay. Because, <laughs> and she kept calling me an Uber mention or something. It's weird. Weird nickname to have. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she had mentioned that and a number of other things. And again, it didn't click. But once I learned social justice, I was like, oh, that explains it. Because she had mentioned, like, we, had, we were talking about marriage, not to one another, just marriage in general. And she had mentioned that. She didn't know if she wanted to get married, but if she ever did get married, she wouldn't take the, her husband's last name because that meant that she was owned by her husband. Yeah, I used it's to say It's an institution of the patriarchy. That. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just went completely over my head, but it makes sense now. Yeah. There's so many of the opinions that people have when they're in the social justice cult that I don't think are authentically their opinions. I certainly had a lot of opinions that were sort of received opinions. And again, I compare it to a cult a lot because I think when you're in it, you, it's almost like you have, you do have this cognitive dissonance and you know there's something off. Like deep down, if you're honest with yourself, you know there's something off, but you don't, you don't consciously engage in thought. You don't. You're engaging in something that feels like thought, but what you're really doing is sort of sorting through all of the acceptable opinions and tenets and rules of the ideology, and you're making sure that you're always speaking pu as pure as you can, as ideologically pure as you can. You're trying to speak the tenets of the belief system and not say something that is deemed, um, is now deemed racist or sexist or, you know, in other words, immoral. And those rules are always changing. So you're always getting, you're always almost afraid of what you're saying because you, you might step in it. You know, you, you have this little sensor that you run everything through to make sure you're speaking the most ideologically pure that you can speak, you know? So, um, the fact that she said she didn't want to take her husband's last name because that's the patriarchy and it's a sign of owning her and whatever. I'm not saying that people can't come to that opinion on their own. But I am saying that a lot of people who hold that opinion have not. Yeah. A lot of people who hold that opinion, like I used to hold that opinion, it's not really, they haven't given it a lot of thought. They're just speaking what is the norm in that belief system. Mm -hmm. And I, I often think about, you know, feminism in general and how I think only a small percentage of women actually identify as feminists. Like I've heard it's like 8% or so. I don't know how accurate that is. But it kind of doesn't matter because even though a lot of them who maybe haven't gone through the actual courses and been indoctrinated into gender or, you know, feminist theory, whatever, 
a lot of it has you know trickled down. I mean, you yeah. <laughs> trickled down to the masses. So I would wager that if you went up to a random woman and you know asked her if she's a feminist, and if she said no, but then you asked her if say if women were paid less than men, she'd probably say yes because that feminist narrative is so pervasive in, in society that and they haven't looked into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they believe it. Uh, Beverly, hi Beverly. Beverly's in chat. I, this is not a super chat, but I just wanted to read it because it to underline the point I was just trying to make. She says, <clears throat> I guess I'm a little woke in that respect. I wouldn't change my last name either. It's less about being owned, but just about my name is already my identity. Yeah, exactly. I I think that people, like I said, people can come to that conclusion on their own. I just think a lot of the, and having that opinion doesn't make you woke, Beverly. It's just that a lot of woke people automatically have that opinion. Right. And it Because it's received and they haven't thought about it in the way that you have. That that's my allegation, but I and, and and like her saying the girl I was dating, uh, saying that is kind of like what you and Carter talk about with it's all about power because she's perceiving the male as having more power, and I don't understand how a relationship is to survive if you're constantly trying to, you know, make sure that you have more power than your partner because that's what it comes down to. Yes. she's perceiving the partner having more power yes. and owning her and. You know, she doesn't like how her father or, you know, in weddings, fathers give away their daughters because she thinks it's giving away their property to another man who's now owns her. And that's just a horrible way to think about, you know, marriage and relationships. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That makes me think of a, I had a conversation with some friends this weekend and we were talking about a woman who is social, total in the social justice world and how she, her recent divorce. And part of what we were talking about is how hard a marriage must be if you are part of, if one person is social justice warrior and the other is not. Because if, and especially if the woman is social justice and the man is not. And I've known a, a few different couples who've split um, because of that. I think the guy usually either, either it ends in divorce or the guy usually converts. Um, but in the in the cases where they split, it's it's got to be hard because you are one person subscribes to the idea that they are oppressed in a way that their partner is not, and therefore they have less power. You know, again, because it tells you to look at yourself as a group, as a member of a group instead of as an individual. So you could have you could be you could have all the power in the world. You could have more power than your husband does, but this ideology tells you you don't have any power. And, and so you view, it tells you to view yourself as a victim. And then in order to balance the scales, right, in this ideology, you get more power in your relationship and in all of your interactions with men. You know, you get to speak, they don't. You get to have opinions about things that they don't because you're the oppressed and your husband isn't, right? How hard is that? Because in a marriage, you have to be able to take responsibility for things, apologize for things, um, self-reflect, own up to your own crap. But if you have this, if you're part of a belief system that tells you that you're at a disadvantage, I think it, I think it would be really hard to do the things you need to do to keep that relationship healthy because you would always be sort of... Um, putting yourself on a different you're the one in you're the one introducing the power imbalance in your mm -hmm. relationship i guess put it that way right right yeah and the unwillingness to to compromise in a lot of situations um constantly telling that you know everything's about 
a fight for power uh, is definitely going to lead to uh, a lot of conflict and ultimately I would think destruction of the relationship because you know women you know biologically or tend to be attracted to men that um, display the ability to provide and to acquire resources and if you're you know constantly telling women that you know uh, men are exploiting women in order to get these resources well, you know that's going to send a lot of confusing signals to women and they're going to try to attain more power than the man but then look down on the man for being you know weaker uh, yeah man. And, secretly uh, they I think start to resent the man yes because they the man is allowing them to walk all over them yeah and to treat them this way and nobody respects that deep down uh, thank you for the super chat lieutenant cyber he says SJWs and feminists are single as they view relationships as power dynamics instead of a partnership. I do know a lot of single feminists and SJWs, and I agree, but I also know some, I know plenty who are partnered. And as I said, I think most of the time what I've seen play out is either the husband converts, <laughs> which is sick, because like this is what Gus and I are talking about. He, Chris and I are talking about is that he becomes... Um, he becomes a doormat and the person starts to disrespect, like the woman starts to disrespect him or, or they get a divorce. And I've seen plenty in a divorce too. Do you remember shortly after Trump was elected, there was some article, I forget what uh, publication, it was an online publication, but some woman wrote an article about, she was a huge feminist SJW, but in the article, she was like, she said she couldn't stop hooking up with Trump supporters. <laughs> oh. She hated like Trump supporters, but it was like that that the personality of the man who's willing to take a stance that goes counter to what you know she likes, and who's not willing to bend his views based on what you know the woman wants, is what made her attracted to these men, even though she couldn't stand Trump. And just yeah. that was. Fascinating. Carter and I have talked about this before. I had I didn't see that specific article, but I know just anecdotally, I know feminist friends who used to talk about this all the time. How they would be dating a woke guy, and then fooling around with right wing guys, and or be or at least admit attraction to them, and they viewed it as a problem. Like they were trying to <laughs> root out their attraction. It's weird. <laughs> uh, John Boy, thank you, John Boy. He says listening from Portugal. Ooh. Love your show. That's cool. Thank you. Uh, Richard Petz. Richard Petz says, Envy, a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of envy in social justice ideology. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Just Yeah. Envy and inferiority complex that many have. Did I miss anyone... I don't think so. I think we're I think we're doing okay. So again, if you're just tuning in, you are watching Kafefi Live on Unsafe Space, Kafefi Break. Carter's not with us today. He doesn't have internet. I'm here with my friend Chris. We are gonna be doing a new show together. We're trying out a new show. We're doing a pilot, let's say. We've already recorded the pilot about pop culture and that'll be airing later this week. And even though he's anonymous and we don't get to see his beautiful face. <laughs> He's also an artist, and he designed a really cool avatar, so you're going to get to see at least a representation of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I hope you guys tune in for that. Also, we have book club. I just want to make some announcements. We have book club coming up on November 22nd, which is a Sunday. 
And the book that we're reading this month is The Management of Savagery by Max Blumenthal. If you guys want to join us, you can go to the book club page at unsafespace.com and you can find out how to join. And basically, you just send us an email to speak at unsafespace.com and let us know you want to be in the video, the live video chat. Or you can be in the chat like today, just hanging out there without being on camera. We also have... I'm trying to remember all the things that we usually plug. We also have merchandise. If you would like to support us, you can go to unsafespace.com and check out our shop. We got these... Did, have you seen this? Oh, uh, yeah. I saw that uh, last week. I think we showed it. Yeah. We have these cool mugs. If you go to... Um, this is not on the merch page, but if you go to Subscribestar, and you can get there by going to our website and going to the donate page, um, everybody who donates at the $25 level or above gets a mug, which is kind of cool. We have t-shirts. We have a t-shirt with Carter's face on it. Okay, I think I've done enough plugging. <laughs> plugging of everything, right? Um, why is he anonymous? Mystery Chris is what people were calling you. Why are you anonymous? Well, uh, seeing as how uh, my uh, support of Trump hasn't gone over well with uh, a lot of my friends, uh, I kind of want to keep that <laughs> on the down low. Uh, I have a confession. I haven't even told my parents that I, I voted for Trump. What? I know. I, I didn't know. know that. No. Because no. I know you kind of push back on things. Yeah, I do. But they don't fully know that I, I voted for him and plan to vote for him again. Do you think you'll ever come out to them? I, I, I think I, I'm trying to because, you know, every day I kind of think about ways to try to push back on some things, but do it in a way to try to convince my mom that there are a lot of other issues that are more important than trying to decide if Trump is a racist or not because honestly I don't think that she and a lot of other people hate Trump specifically for the racism stuff like I don't think he's a racist but I know they do but even if he was the point I make to them is that even if he or someone else is a racist doesn't mean that they can't have decent policies a racist person could still support freedom of speech a racist person can still support free market capitalism. Racist person still support due process. And I don't understand how, if you're so concerned about the racism of Donald Trump, why would you not look for that also in Democratic you know, candidates like Joe Biden, who's said direct things about blacks, you know, when he, you know, I yes. guess back in the 70s where he said, yes. you know, when his kid's going to a uh, school in a racial jungle. I mean, come on. Like, well, even recently he said, if you, if you don't vote for him, you're not black, which is more of that kind of, Chelsea Handler kind of racism of being condescending and telling you what black is. Mm -hmm. And I've seen my family members mm -hmm. like defend uh, uh, Joe Biden on saying that. It's like my entire family, they're just, they just all watch CNN, like every single one of them. Like I, I was talking to my brother and my brother said that Fox News was the only news channel that lies. The only one. Wow. And your brother's smart. Uh, my brother is there. They're smart. Uh, I <laughs> see. This is why I'm anonymous. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to cut this out later in case you ever come out. <laughs> Changing my name to Miguel. Miguel here. This is my friend Miguel. <laughs> uh, let's do a super chat. So, so 2A self-defense law, thank you, gives us 10 bucks and he says, how about these feminist moms with boy children? I have viewed and seen too many issues with these mothers, why these mothers hate their children and try to make them into something they're not. 
Yeah. I've seen that too. I've seen it actually a lot in the past four years to a self-defense law. In the past four years, I've seen online anyway, a lot of examples of things that I would consider child abuse that parents are doing, woke parents are doing to their kids to gain, you know, social currency online to score these virtue points, these virtue signaling points. There's that picture of the little girl is a white girl. She's taking a knee and she's holding a sign to the camera that says privileged with an arrow pointing at her face. And she just looks sad. And it, even if she didn't look sad, to make your child kneel and hold a sign saying they're privileged is so gross. Yeah, they're just props. They're it's props. Sad. Yeah, they're total props. Um, we have another super chat. This is from Miles. Miles, thank you. He says, hey, Carrie. I totally understand. I voted for Trump. I get a lot of crap from family. Sometimes you feel alone. Thankful for shows like this. Oh, well, we're thankful that you guys are watching and tuning in. Um, somebody said also in the chat, Chris, this wasn't a super chat, but somebody said, this is so sad. It makes me, it reminds me of, um, you know, gay people back when gay people were afraid to come out. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I, Cause I, the midterm elections that were a couple years ago, I voted mainly for Republicans because I was so upset uh, Democrats for the Russia stuff and the Brett Kavanaugh stuff. And I told my mom, you know, uh, that part uh, about mainly supporting uh, Republicans. And she said that she was disappointed in me. And I had never heard my mom say that. And that just like really cut deeply. And that still hurts. Yeah. And I've never told her that how much that hurt. Uh, my, my mom told me and she was disappointed. And I've done a lot of dumb things. <laughs> I've never heard my mom say that. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but I saw a video this weekend that went viral on, um, I guess it was a TikTok video that the kids use, but I saw it on Twitter where the old people hang out. And uh, it was a woman, and a white woman. She she had a, one of those things they do where they have cards that they've written on and she doesn't. she's just showing you, she's written all this down and she's showing it to you. And on the cards, she basically wrote that her father, who's in his 50s, is dying. I forget what his illness is, but he's dying, and they only have weeks or months left. And she said they've had some really difficult, no, she said painful. We've had some very painful interactions about him supporting Trump, and he's a lifelong Republican. And she said... It's been very painful because we only have a few weeks or months left with him. And this week he called me to tell me, he was so excited to tell me that he just voted early and he voted for Biden. And I was watching this video and I was thinking, wow, like people on the left, it, it's like what Scott Adam talks about, seeing two different movies. People on the left look at this video and they see it as inspiring. I'm on the left. I know the people on the left don't believe that, a lot of people. I'm a liberal. I look at it probably more similarly to the way people on the right look at it. I look at it and I see a woman who's exploiting her dying father to try and influence an election. And I see a woman who doesn't reckon, never took the time to step back and say, hey, maybe these are painful her words, painful interactions with your father um, because of you. <laughs> like maybe you shouldn't spend the last few weeks in, or months of his life making, making this an issue. Maybe you should back the F off and not 
make him feel like crap for voting for someone that you're not voting for. He's dying. What is wrong with you? I, if my, if I had a parent who was dying, I don't care if they're voting for Biden, for Trump, for Kanye or Joe Jorgensen. I don't care. My parent is dying. I'm not going to spend those last few weeks guilting them into voting the way I want. What is wrong with you? Where are your priorities? Again, that's why I say this cult, this ideology is cult like it becomes the primary thing. This woman's most important thing is making sure her dying father like crawls into the voting booth and pulls the lever for the candidate that she wants with his last breaths. Like <laughs> it, I thought it was horribly tacky and callous. And I was watching it thinking, this is that two movies thing because they are sharing it on the left. They're sharing it like, this is so touching. <laughs> it, it was like uh, during the uh, DNC uh, convention where they have that woman who said that her, her dad died and she said like he admitted his deathbed his worst mistake was voting for Trump in 2016 just just it's so and it says a lot about the relationship between a kid and uh, a, a father if they're willing to use their parents as props and fighting this culture war because they're putting this you know desire for their ideology to win out at all costs even above their relationships with families and the well-being of family members. It's just, it's evil. It's evil. It's evil. It makes you prioritize things that are not as important. I mean, I think this election is important. I think it's very important. But it's not the most important thing. I, I, I don't, I, there are much more important things to me. This is a small little bit of history. And yes, things are going to, I actually, I think they're going to get a little worse no matter who wins. Um, I think they'll be a lot worse if Biden wins, but I think they're going to get worse no matter what. We have to, we're going to, things are going to get a little worse culturally. This is a cultural problem. You can't solve it with one politician. You can help, but you can't solve it. So I think things are going to get a little worse and then they'll start to get better. That's what I think. But this isn't the most important thing. Love is the most important thing. Like, your relationships with the people you love, with your dying father, that's more important. Why are you making his last moments painful? What's wrong? <laughs> it's like all these empty people that don't have anything. That's why they gravitate toward this ideology, this collective ideology where the success of the group reflects on them personally and they treat that as success on their own. But they're not successful people. They, they're people who are not good at a lot of things and they're only good at really destroying things and that's what you know as we talked in the podcast what's happening in hollywood we're seeing all these writers and producers and people that are poor storytellers all they know how to do is interject these divisive politics yeah. while blaming people who point out this divisive politics in these stories and blaming them and calling them racist when they are the ones putting in these racist narratives yeah it's just it's sick they are they are destroyers you are right about that um Okay, I think we are caught up on Super Chats. Thank you guys for tuning in today with our guest host, Mystery Chris. Wait, is there a new one? There's a new one. Andrew Joyner. Thank you, Andrew. He says, I saw a C4 documentary from the UK, uh, from UK class that tried to end racism. It's like, here are some kids who seem to get along fine, but let's stir up some racial tension. LOL. <laughs> That's one thing about this belief system is it's all about stirring up 
this, the things it claims to be fighting, it engenders racism in people, sexism in people. It stirs up racial tension. It creates the very monster it says it's fighting. It's that Nietzsche quote, like, you know, be careful fighting monsters, lest you become the monster you fight. It, it creates, it says, hey, there's this boogeyman here, and then it works to create the boogeyman. That's, I don't understand how or why it's so attractive, say, you know, other black people, because for people my age, I can't imagine that even if you had racist incidents, which of course I've encountered racism, I've been called the N-word twice, my whites, but the overwhelming amount of interactions I've had with white people have been positive. I've worked mainly for white people, people who've gone out their ways to do things for me, to get bonuses and things. Uh, one of uh, some neighbors of mine have always treated me as if I was one of their kids. You know, they, they always took me in and gave me meals and stuff. Not that I was poor or anything. Mm -hmm. They didn't need to, but they chose to. And so I just, I can't imagine that people would be able to be truly believe that all white people are racist. Like, you, surely you must have numerous interactions with whites that have been positive. Even if you have some of that negative. Because it's like the, like the feminist... Or are the the men like the feminists who hate all men, or the men that hate all women? Like, surely you must have had some positive interactions. Like, what does what does that say about you know the dynamics in your own family? If you're a feminist that hates all men, do you hate your father? I mean, that yeah. just comes down to for a lot of feminists, they do have their, hate their father or the father that wasn't there. I have dad issues, and so they tend to project that onto all men. And so I just I don't understand how it's so pervasive and seductive towards people, and that's why I think a lot of people don't truly believe that all white people are racist, but know it's a way to advance themselves. And they yeah. just don't, they don't, they don't care. They just, that's all they're <clears> thinking about. They're, they're self-interested. Or the people who are in it, who are men and who are, and, and people who are white who are in it. He, here's something I started thinking about. Did you read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo? Mm, definitely no. Okay. <laughs> so in it, she admits to being, well, she admits to being a racist in that she's social justice. She, she believes all white people are racist. But she also admits to actual personal racist beliefs, like going to a company picnic and seeing a, a group that's mostly white and a group that's mostly black and being scared that she's going to be put with all the black women. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what world are you living in? But I would so, be scared too. No. She, admits, she admits this. And so here's what I started thinking. I think a lot of the people who get attracted to social justice um, who are white, I think they believe it and they fall for it because they are racist. Yes. And they and it makes it's comforting for them to think, oh, it's not just me. All white people are like this. And the same thing for men. The men who are who are sexist, they fall for it because it feels good to share the sin with every mm -hmm. like it's all men. That's why you saw like during Me Too, Morgan Spurlock, he wrote a big apology letter. He, he confessed to all of these um, sins that he had committed against women, these patriarchal sins of, you know, harassment or discrimination or whatever. And in that letter, he did his confession, but then he implicated all men. He said, it's time for all of us men. Like in his language, he was all men are like this. It's like, no, dude, take some personal responsibility for your problems, mm -hmm. for your bigoted beliefs. And your bigoted behavior. That's you. Same thing for Robin D'Angelo. It feels good to share it, doesn't it? It feels good to say, all white people are like me. Uh, no. <laughs> so. <laughs> they project their own inadequacies 
uh, inadequacies on the rest of society, their own flaws. The rest of society is what's inadequate. It's not them as individuals. Yeah. Society it's at society. large. That needs to change, not you on the individual level. Which is weird because they try and pretend it's all about taking responsibility. Like, as a white person, you need to confess that you're racist because we're all racist. And as a black, as a, as a man, you need to confess that you're sexist because we're all sexist. But really what they're doing is, is they're relieving themselves of the personal burden of their beliefs and behaviors. They're saying, I'm, hey guys, I just like to announce I'm a white person and I'm inherently racist like all white people. What does that do? That lifts the burden from your show. Yep. We can't help it. We're born this way, all white people. Same thing with, same thing with men. Oh, we're all, hey, look, I may have sexually harassed that woman, but that's what men do. It sucks. <laughs> we're all like this. Yep. <laughs> I told you, like, I wanted to do experiment, like, pushing it to see how racist can I be to these lefty white people so they <laughs> give up their leftist beliefs. Like, I want to start a business where I will relieve white men of their white guilt by punching them in the face until it's gone. And if there are women, I will kiss them until <laughs> their, their white privilege is absolved and they can go about their... Business. This isn't your. This isn't the way to sell out, Chris. Right now. <laughs> I don't think you're. I think you should just go with what they usually do, which is to hold seminars and teach people how to unlearn their toxic whiteness. Um, we have another super chat from Tax Sarah. Tax Sarah, thank you. She gives us five bucks and says, "If I had children like that daughter, I would probably want to die." <laughs> oh no. Okay, uh, and then we have. I think is that it. Oh. Miles, we already did Miles. You guys, thanks for bearing with us today on Kofefi break while I do the tech and try and figure out Super Chats. I think we'll wrap up. We've been about an hour and a half. I did want to say, somebody said, Low Res Boys said something earlier in the chat about uh, Carter should let Carrie design a lady mug. I will have you know, Carrie helped design, I think the grenade idea was my idea. I can't remember, but I think it was. This is a lady mug. <laughs> stop putting your cultural what i don't know stop stop assigning gender to my mug this is <laughs> anyway thank you guys for tuning in um <clears throat> if you want to support us you can like this video we do have our two dislikes today good looking out haters are here um we usually have two right. dislikes uh, thank you for everyone who joined us. You can like, share, subscribe. If you want to find out more information about our channel, you can go to unsafespace.com. We are going to have some other videos coming out this week, and then you can always join us live on Friday. Carter will presumably be back by then. Um, you can go to unsafespace.com to also check out our book club. The book we're reading this month is The Management of Savagery by Max Blumenthal. You would love this book. Would I? You should join us for book club. Oh, yeah. I have to read yeah, no, but this is stuff you already know about. Yeah. Chris is really like a, a wealth of information. You you actually probably, this book's going to be difficult for me because I'm mm. absorbing a lot of new facts, but you know all this stuff. It's about U.S. intervention in the Middle East, oh. and CIA. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right up my alley. <clears throat> that is up your alley. That and Star Trek are up your yeah. alley. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys. Now I've got to do, I've got a checklist of how to run the show. The last thing says... Play credits and end broadcast. <laughs> Let's see how that is. Here we go. Thanks, guys. Please like and subscribe. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please keep socially distant from these individuals. I have calculated a 97.8% chance that they are spies for Oceania. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. This revolution is brought to you by our sponsors, including Comcast, Amazon, Procter & Gamble, the member banks of the Federal Reserve, and all of Silicon Valley. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.